James 3.18, excuse me, 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be God. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, I ask that You'd pour out Your Spirit upon this message today. That You'd speak to our hearts and minds, reminding us that we have come from Your Word, from Your work, through Your creation to this place and time. And I thank You that You blessed us, called us to this moment. And in this moment, I ask that You would pour out Your Spirit in a great way to us so we might receive and be anointed listeners. Heavenly Father, that our hearts would be changed and transformed. Amen. Maybe see it. I don't know if I like James or not. I just can't figure it out. But um, wisdom, wisdom—that's what it's talking about in this passage. And there's two kinds: man's wisdom and God's wisdom. And the question I have for you is, in what way are you wise? Every which way or every which wise? You ever heard that phrase, he went every which way? This way, that way, every which way? Well, this is which wise are you wisdom with? And if you can say that four times or five times quick, you practice more than I have. But the uh, question is still true. Everyone has a wisdom source, a part of wisdom. And James helps us discern where our wisdom comes from through this passage. It's a real powerful message to us. And it's almost like self-explanatory except for the way he says it. Because the way he says it, he throws words together and it's like, that doesn't fit. Or that doesn't make quite sense. And so, when he does that, he's introducing something that you're not used to thinking about. Like we talked about last week, when we talked about the tongue controlling the whole body. And, and it's not like really a, a bit in a horse's mouth or a rudder on a ship, because your body doesn't go where your tongue goes. We learned that it's the direction of your life, that body. And so, he's doing it again <laughs> in this passage. And I, I don't know if... Um, if you catch this, if you've read this passage in, in Ernst before, but what he says at the beginning of verse 13 is he's asking, who is wise and understanding among you? Now, understanding is simply um, understanding in terms of biblical type of understanding, not, yes, I understand something. In Job chapter 28, verse 28, we find the following words that tell us what wisdom is. And it says this, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil, 
This is understanding. So if you have wisdom from God, then the understanding that comes from God helps you to depart from evil in your life. Otherwise, there's a good chance that the godly wisdom isn't at work in your life. It's a pretty important distinction for us. And a lot of folks in this world aren't too concerned about what kind of wisdom they use as long as they have what they need to get through life. Now before I get into a little bit more about that, I want to look at this meekness of wisdom. You would think in the technological age where knowledge is power, that wisdom, which is knowledge applied, that it wouldn't be meek. But if you understand meekness in the true sense of it, then you'll understand that it's not the same word as weak. As a matter of fact, meek has nothing to do with being weak. Jesus was meek. But He was not powerless and He was not weak in any sense of the word. Now, the word meek, I'll give you an example, is like a, a stallion or wild horse that has been broken. And I don't mean like disrepair, but able to be ridden and used for our purposes. And when a horse is broken, that horse still has the same abilities and same strength, but now it's under control. Either through a plow or a rein or however you're using the horse pulling something, that power is now under control. That's what meekness is. It's power under control. It's like anger, but under control. Doing the things that it's supposed to do. There are two kinds of responses to a situation, which is a do-nothing or uh, over-the-top anger. But in the middle of that is an anger or a righteous anger that does something but under control. Here's what I was thinking about as a comparison for me when I read this passage and was understanding meekness. Jesus, being meek, had the very, very unique position of being God made flesh. So when people threatened Him or cursed Him or mocked Him or beat Him, He had all the power of heaven at His disposal. He could have said, I'm going to smite this dude for being so mean and cruel to God. Don't you know who you're messing with? That's what He could have done. But that power was under control to do God's will, not Jesus' justification of how He might have felt being mocked or made fun of or denied, rejected, or crucified. Instead, that power was under control. Do you see that? All God's resources are at Him and He didn't use them. But He could have. That's meekness. And so wisdom has that meekness. And so when we say knowledge is power, it's true. But wisdom is knowledge under control in the right environment doing the right thing for the right reasons. That's what true wisdom does. And you, you do conduct or works, the same thing as works as conduct, behavior, things that you do. Those are done showing that you have the ability to do more, which could be destructive, but you're doing the things that move it forward gently in the right way. 
You can see a lot of things if you look around the world where people are trying to force situations to happen, trying to make people do things or try to accuse people of things they may or may not have done and trying to make or sway public opinion. And you know, it happens all the time. But he says in verse 14, If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. And that's the first verse that got me a little like, wait a minute, what's, what's he saying here? Boast against the truth? Uh, bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart? In the phrase uh, self-seeking, the, the word there really means uh, self-serving uh, or self-appreciation. That the things that are all about you. Self-attention. Self-approval. So if you're a person who has the kind of life that's all about you and never really cares for someone else or goes out of their way to help someone in need, that could be considered self-serving, self-seeking, if you will. Um, I I call it self-focused because you can't seem to get out of your own head. I've heard some people pray this prayer, God, get me out of my own way. Maybe you have been able to pray that prayer a few times. But what, what we learn here is that that self-ambition that's all about getting ahead in life is not godly wisdom. That's about you and your prosperity, your potential, your status, those things. And James says that those things, if you have envy as well, and that means you want what you do not have, and you're working so you can have it, then you are boasting and lying against the truth. Now, it, it doesn't seem in the world's standards that if someone's trying to make a better life for himself and his family and trying to get ahead, that would be a bad thing. But that isn't what this is talking about. What James is talking about is someone who says, this is what's most important is that my family and me are taking care of. The world can do whatever it wants, but this is what it's all about. And I don't worry about my neighbor. I'm just this. And they don't ever take their eyes off of that. That that's all they're focused on. And, and when they see someone has something better than them, then they got to show that they're better than that. Because they live insecure or uh, want to show that they're better than others. And that really doesn't promote godly works, does it? It never has. But that wisdom, it says it, it, it lies against the truth. Now the truth is that godly wisdom is a wisdom that causes us to be outward focused in our behavior. Not primarily and totally 100% of the time, but that we are outwardly focused with generosity and kindness that we're looking to bless and give and restore peace and to help others in life. If that isn't in our lives and all we're about is just number one, which is yourself, instead of God or Christ and your relationship with Him, then that is saying that you do not embrace the truth of God. You see, there's two kind of wisdoms, as I said. There's man's and God's. And man's is demonstrated by no saving relationship and no desire to worship, serve, or obey. 
If you're worried about yourself and getting ahead and all these things and nothing else, that's not worshiping. Well, you're worshiping at your mirror. You're serving at the mirror and you're obeying the man or the woman in the mirror. But that is not what godly wisdom is. You see, salvation is the only way you can manifest God's wisdom. Now, i got to be real simple and clear on this. If you're not manifesting God's wisdom, your salvation should be in question in your mind. So an uncomfortable statement, but you need to have godly wisdom because it comes from God alone and you can't make it. You can be benevolent, but that doesn't mean it's godly wisdom inspiring and causing it. There's a difference. And there's difference is motivation. So he says, if you have this kind of wisdom that's man's wisdom, it's a lie against the truth. Anything that is not of God is a lie against the truth. You see what I'm saying there? It's not saying, well, I'm taking care of my family. How's that lying? That's not what we're trying to get at, okay? What we're trying to say is that when you have a relationship with God and you live out the faith, your life manifests its wisdom of God. And when you don't have one and you don't live out the wisdom of God, your life reflects anything but the truth of God. Everything could be but the truth of God. He gets a little further into it in this next verse. He said, this wisdom, this is the the man's wisdom we just talked about in verse 14, does not come from above, but it's earthly, sensual, and demonic. Now, one of those words there, sensual, would be the word for soul. It's from the soul. It's your mind, will, and emotions at work. It is not spiritual, but it's earthly or of the earth of man's mentality. It comes from your own wants, needs, and desires. And this is demonic. And people are going, what I want is demonic? You mean, if I'm, not, if I'm motivated by what I want, that's, that's ungodly? What it's saying is that you're opening a portal in your life to the work of, of the enemy, of the adversary of the kingdom of God if you are self-serving if you're going by your soul and not by the Spirit of God residing within you. Scripture real clear. The soul lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the soul. Or the flesh, if you want to put it that way. The flesh lusts against the Spirit. The Spirit of God lusts against the flesh. You can't have both in operation. One or the other is running your life. The question is, do you know which one's running yours? And this morning, James is asking us to look at that by the way of how we express wisdom. Which wise are you? So, I uh, want you to know that that wisdom is not intellectual. Did you know that? It's not what you know. It's behavioral. This is something we learned from looking over years and years of history and the Jewish understanding and, and most everybody understands knowledge is knowledge, but wisdom is applied knowledge. We've said that many times. We've heard that. And that means it's behavioral. So what you do reflects what you know. And if what you do is evident of what you know, then what you do is going to reflect either man's wisdom or God's wisdom. And your motivation is going to be clear. 
In verse 16, it goes on, where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. This again is describing man's wisdom. And he says, confusion. This is a great word. The word confusion, if you break it down to its very base, is where things are out of place. I don't know about you, but I like to put stuff where it belongs and things have a place where it goes. And every time something's out of place which is quite often in my office, I have trouble finding it. Let alone knowing where it should go because there's limited space and multiple stuff. So I walk in there and I go, where's this? I go, well, it should be here, but then again, this other thing might be there. And so I get confused because everything is a chaotic disorder. Our lives, our minds are the same way. If we're not in our proper place at the right relationship we are going to walk a life of confusion. If you're not walking with Christ, you're walking a life that is confused. Now you might say, oh, I know full well what I'm doing at all times. You may know full well, but you also may not be walking with Christ. And therefore, your manifestation or how what you know shows up creates confusion and disarray around you. So in other words, if your life reflects other people going, you know, you're really confusing me. Your life's chaotic. You may not have a godly wisdom running that thing, okay? Your life may be in for some surgery. Get some wisdom out and some godly knowledge in. Man's wisdom won't help you. But, but this verse, and, and I can't overstress this. He said, demonic in 15 and 16, he says, where envy and self-seeking, this selfish ambition, we're looking after your own things and nobody else's, or not caring about anybody else's. It says, every evil thing is there. Right? Now, we want to argue with this, don't we? No, no, there's no demonic in my life. That's just New Testament stuff and... And, you know, it doesn't apply. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Do you know what demonic is? Do you know what evil is? Evil is not wanting to do what God seeks. It's seeking other than God's purposes. That's evil. Demonic is to say that's okay and justify it. I've heard a lot of people say, you know, God wants me to do this, but I'm not going to do that. They justify doing an, an evil thing which... James will tell us that sin is knowing the good to do and not doing it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Did I have to put that in there? Did I have to quote Scripture just to prove Scripture is correct? From the same guy in the same book? Absolutely. Because if we justify not following and serving God for whatever reason, it is demonic in influence because it's not a God. What's not a God is of the flesh and of the world, and what's of the flesh is not from God. Do you want that? I hear a lot of people say, well, I ain't got time to read my Bible. I don't have time to pray. I'm not going to tell you which son of mine, but one of my sons who doesn't work says, I don't have time to read the Bible. Don't have time to read the Bible. 24-7 you got time. 
But what of us who are very, very busy who say that? I don't have time to read the Bible. Do you know that's a soulish statement that the time you have is yours? That self-seeking, selfish ambition. Do you ever look at someone and go, boy, I wish I had their kind of free time. Envy. Rather than saying, I'm glad God's given me the time I have. We talked one time a few years ago about Helen Keller, Einstein, Aristotle, Abraham Lincoln, uh, George Washington. Name, name anybody you want to name that's done a lot of things. Thomas Edison. They all got the same 24 hours in a day that we get. What are we doing with ours? How are we doing to make an impact in the world around us? Same 24 hours. Why doesn't everybody have great impact like that? And some people will say, well, they got connections. They know more. Truth is, godly wisdom will put you in places to make an impact. You won't even know how. You won't even know why. You'll just know that it happened and God was the source of it because you didn't do it. Well, I didn't even know that was happening. That's godly wisdom. It may sound like a foolish notion to the people around us saying, well, you ought to know what's going on. But the truth is, when God does something, He does it and He surprises you. And after you look back, you go, well, that makes sense. It didn't at the time. And so we 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 got to be careful when we begin to say that we don't have time for what God says is basic requirements of a walk with Him. Maybe you all remember one day when I said uh, about a situation I had with God, I was not spending time in the Word like I should, not praying often like should the word should there is not the correct word but the word should says shame it's like I must if I really truly have a relationship I want to grow it and build it if I really value and cherish that relationship right I want to be with the one I love I want to learn and grow and have more and one day in my office I was standing there and I said God I really love you and he said prove it Spend time with me. And I said, well, I don't have time to read the Bible, right? And he says, oh, so you're saying you love me in word, but not in deed. Which means you don't love me at all. Because love acts on what it believes. So does wisdom. Love and wisdom are both from God. And so I was sitting there arguing with God, telling Him how, you know, if He would make time, He said, get up a half an hour earlier. And I go, but God, I'm so tired. He goes, so you're going to blame your tiredness on our relationship not working now. Go to bed a half hour early. Say, God, I don't want to. Yeah, there you go. You know, I got the sports I got to check out, you know. And I got to check the latest news and the email and everything I got to check so my mind doesn't race in anxiety because this thing creates it. The ding goes off. Do you know there's a, there's a phrase for that now? It's a cell phone anxiety. If it dings you, you go, i got to check that man. It might be important. These things create anxiety. You know what? They do. And if you think they don't, then next time you get a text, come and go, I'm going to wait for two hours before I read that. No, you're not. You're going to read it and see who it was. And you know how else you can tell? If you get a spam phone call, you get mad at it. You, you know why? 
because it's disturbing your time on your phone with your number and you don't want them to do it and therefore it's all about you. Amen. See? This is how we think. But then when it comes to our relationship with God, we don't get mad. God, what's wrong with me? Why don't I pray? What's wrong with me? Fix me! Fix my mind so I pray and study and read the Bible like you said would develop our relationship so I can see Your power working through my life. God, fix me! Fix my mind! Renew it! Because all I'm saying is, I don't have time. God says, you want time? Let's get sick. Zap, you're sick. I don't feel well enough to read. That's what we do. We say it on our own selfish ambitions. And God is saying that's not godly wisdom, that's man's, and it's demonic because it keeps you from God. Anything that keeps you from drawing near to God is demonic. It's evil. And that's what man's wisdom is characteristically known for. But, verse 17, there's that word, the transition word. But, that means the good stuff comes next. We've shown the negative... And now James goes to verse 17 to the positive. But the wisdom that is from above, and we cue the beautiful music, because this is where in the story the turnaround comes and the answer comes. And the wisdom from above is first pure, which means it doesn't have any false motives. It's peaceable. It's not trying to make waves. It's gentle. That's power under control. It's willing to yield to another. Except in traffic and people cut me off. Uh, <laughs> yield sign's only a suggestion. No. <laughs> you know I'm being sarcastic. I hope you don't go, hey, the preacher said I don't have to yield here. <laughs> I, I hear people going, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, yeah. It's willing to yield to another. To give them uh, space. Be kind to them that way. Maybe you may be the first. Full of mercy and good fruits. Mercy and good fruits. I love this. This sets up for the, for the verse uh, 18. It says mercy and good fruits. That's plural. Fruits are the behavior that wisdom produces in a world around it that comes from God. And that fruit is the love and the joy the gentleness and the long-suffering. And wisdom is without partiality. That means we treat each person the same. I like using bus references because they're good. And this one's real good. When I first started on this route that I'm on in uh, August, I put a sign up that had Mr. Jonathan. And then the next line was respect with a colon and an underline to put a word there. And as I was talking to the kids on the first day on the bus, I said, the word I'm going to put here is you. He said, you might have thought I was wanting you to respect me, but I'm not so much concerned about that as I respect you. That you know I'm going to be impartial, I'm going to treat everybody the same, I'm going to care for you the way you are, and I'm going to make sure you get home and safe and back, and everybody's going to have the same standards of behavior and treatment from me so that you'll know that I don't see you as worse or better than anybody else, but I like you all. And you may not know what that means, but that means we're all together in this, in my mind. And maybe you don't know what that means because you're expecting me to say you need to respect me. 
because I'm an authority. But no, I want you to love and care about who I am as a person. So when I ask you to do something, not tell you, you'll listen. And maybe even care that it's important to me. And you know what? A few weeks later, after they tested it, they found out it was true. So no partiality. And without hypocrisy, not doing it for my own good, I was teaching them to be better people. By an example, I set. Not asking them to respect and them to set the example, but for me to set the example. And after that, when I went back to work this semester, I changed the word to the word bus. I didn't mean keep the bus clean, you know, and don't kick it and rip it up. I meant respect what the bus stands for, which is we work together to have a safe ride, a good ride, possibly a fun ride, but most definitely a ride that you don't dislike or hate getting on. And so we respect one another with our words, our kindness, our actions, and we try to help one another to have a good ride. And that's what respecting buses. And you know, I couldn't have done that the first day. There's no trust. But godly wisdom invokes trust in the people around you. Because you're not trying to get them to do something for your benefit. Now hear me. The world is all about their benefit. Godly wisdom is about their benefit, not your own. And that's why it's without hypocrisy. Now, his last verse, and this is where James puts the twist in. And the commentators tried to untwist the twist, saying he used the wrong word. But James knew what he was saying because he set it up in verse 17. He says this, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Sounds like a nice statement until you begin to think about it like a gardener or a farmer. Now the question is, when you harvest the field and you get your produce in your harvest, you go and plant it. Or do you take it to market or feed other things with it? Don't you take the fruit of your labor and go to market or use it for its purpose. But here James says, the fruit is sown. The commentators wanted to say you don't sow fruit, you sow seeds. <laughs> Isn't that funny, right? But listen to this. If it's the fruit of righteousness that's sown and not a seed of righteousness that's sown, there's a reason why James said it and i got two reasons for you. The number one reason is because righteousness is not a seed. You don't plant righteousness. You can't. You can't plant a seed of your righteousness in somebody else. You can't do it. But the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of righteousness is godly wisdom. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the behavior that God asks for that says to love one another without partiality, to look after the needs of others and esteem them more than yourself, to not let your mouth speak corruptly about another person, but to always edify, encourage, and exhort one another. And especially all the more as the day of the Lord draws nearer. And so that fruit is those things. And so you do sow fruit of righteousness because righteousness produces fruit in you. 
And you put that fruit out to the world and you sow it into the world. Hear me. Godly wisdom causes that righteousness to be sown into the world by you. That fruit is sown. It's not for your own benefit that God blesses you. God blesses you to bless others. Remember, He told Abraham, when you bless others, I will bless you. If you curse them, you will be cursed. But in blessing you shall be blessed. And so when you sow the fruit of the righteousness that God has produced in you, then you're sowing peace around you. And those who do this are the ones who are the peacemakers. Which Jesus says in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, for they have overcome the world. He also says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the meek. Do you understand? James knows what his brother said. He knows the Beatitudes. And in this passage, as he talks about it, he says to us, which wise are you? Does your life show forth sowing the fruits of God's goodness to the world around you? Or are you still only more focused? Gimme, gimme, gimme. Me, mine, mine, more. It's very simple to tell. And I'm not condemning you if you have man's wisdom. I'm just telling you don't call it godly wisdom and don't say that the Spirit of God is running your life because that would be lying against the truth. But when you yield humbly to God, oh, when you yield humbly to God, He's going to do something incredible through you. He's going to change the world where you live. He's going to change you. Now, I can't tell you how much that means to me, but I want to read this sentence from this book. He says, If a person professes saving faith in Jesus Christ and claims to have wisdom from God, but has a heart that is proud, arrogant, and self-centered, and lives a life that is worldly, sensual, and self-serving, his claims to salvation are false. He's lying against the truth. I don't want you to lie against the truth. And I certainly don't want anyone that we love to find that we've loved with false motive for our own good to make ourselves better. I believe God wants us to take a hard look at who we are and ask Him to lead us into cleaner pastures and truer words and more gracious hearts. May our words be seasoned with grace rather than bitterness. As that uh, passage in First Peter, may I speak as though I'm speaking God's Word to the people around me. But if it's not in there, you can't do it. But I want you to. And God desires that for you. That when you speak God's Word because it's in your heart to those around you, do you know what happens? You both get blessed. And it's a blessing from God, not your own hands. Your hands don't give you a good enough blessing as God's. But you can settle on your own choices and man's wisdom but you're going to get man's result and you'll end up with a demonic life which does not have a good ending. 
Food for thought, I pray. And would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I ask that you would uh, remind us once again that the challenges we face in our lives are simply to become more like you. To let you run our lives and, and we stop listening to that crazy voice inside of us that says we don't have time for you. That we don't have enough hours in the day to spend 10 minutes with you studying or reading or praying. And yet, if we look at our lives, Heavenly Father, we have a lot of chaff. A lot of pork, as they say in political circles. A lot of pork in those words. I don't have time for that. We have a lot of time for other things, Heavenly Father, that really don't do anything for our lives. So, Heavenly Father, help us to refrain from justifying our behavior and come before you and say, God, whatever it is you want me to do, help me be it because I love you. I just don't know how to do it well. Amen. As our musicians come forward, I've asked them to sing, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Truly it is.